0: Block Talk Radio. Hey, welcome to another edition of Bucko Booth. My name is Benson Factor, and I'll be the host of your show today. Big night last night for the Pittsburgh Pirates as they clinched their first winning season since 2015 and have now had four winning seasons since 2013. A big mark for the franchise considering from 1990 to 2012, they did not have a single winning season. I know we did not reach our ultimate goal in the 2018 season, but this team sure did surpass expectations. They proved a lot of people wrong this year and are going into in 2019 looking to prove some more people wrong. So let's get into our weekly awards, our last weekly awards too. We're going to actually do one next Saturday for um, uh, this afternoon's game and tomorrow afternoon's game. But this is our last Full week awards. It's crazy. The season's already almost over. Play of the week goes to Starling Marte, a average. He's been 5 for 17 with four RBIs. Uh, Marte still looking for his 20th home run. I'm really hoping he can get it, obviously, in the next two games. That would be a big milestone for the Pirates center fielder uh, heading in 2019. Our pitcher of the week goes to Kyle Crick. Uh, he's pitched two in this week in two games, no runs allowed, striking out three, no walks. I mean, what can you say about Kyle Crick? Had a little bit of a uh, rough stretch there. I believe it was August maybe, or, or, September, or he gave up a couple home runs. It looks like he was going to be demoted from that setup role. But he's been great for the Pirates. Uh, I can hands down say the Pirates won the Andrew McCutchen trade, uh, simply won because the uh, Pirates and the Giants, my bad, they couldn't even keep Andrew McCutcheon for a season and just looking at where their record is right now. And two, we have one of the best uh, late-inning relievers in baseball now in Kyle Crick, and Brian Reynolds, uh, a solid prospect. He'll be playing at the surprise cigarros in the Arizona Fall League uh, in about 10 days, I believe, they kick off. So, yeah, in Kyle Crick, heading into the next season, I see him as the seventh-inning guy. Keone as the eighth-inning guy, and Felipe Vasquez – Shutting it down in the ninth. It's going to be a very exciting electric back-end bullpen, even with the loss of Edgar Santana. Rookie of the week goes to Colin Moran, a 385 average, 5-13 home run, and 4 RBIs. Now, we've talked a lot about Colin Moran on the show. We've talked a lot about how he has disappointed, how the power and the swing change that he uh, showed Fresno last season did, has not translated into Pittsburgh this season. Um, but overall, he is kind of having a really nice rookie season. He's batting, I think, 275, 11 home runs, 56 RBIs. That's a good building year. It's not, you know, what we all want him, but we all hope for after the Grand Slam on opening day. But he's a solid young player, I'm very excited for what the future holds for him. And the question becomes for 2019, do you platoon him or does he become the everyday third baseman. Uh, it'll be an interesting thing to discuss um, and an interesting thing that the Pirates need to uh, figure out this offseason. But comrade overall has a very fine rookie
1: campaign. I mean,
0: he rakes. And you saw it at home on last night with his parents in attendance. Um, so that, that was a pretty special moment for the Red Beard. Glove of the week, gold glove goes to Kevin Kramer. He had, ten, uh, he had 10 total chances. Yeah, 10 total chances. Six assists were put out in a part of a double play. And last night was pretty cool because it was the first time uh, the Seinfeld Dubo, uh, Kevin Kramer and Kevin Newman, turned a double play. Um, Kramer has struggled with major league pitching. He has struggled with Justin. But I believe he will come around um, sooner rather than later uh, because, I mean, the guy is an exciting young player he has popping that bat, and he almost hit his first career home run last night, uh, Billy Hamilton, not really robbed him, but made a very fine catch. But I'm very excited to see what Kevin Kramer, uh, how he plays the next two games, we'll see going forward. So one thing that I decided to start um, on Bucket of Booth is a mailbag, right? Because, you know, we're a little bit sporadic with when we do the shows, you know, it's Usually at noon, but, you know, sometimes it varies depending on my schedule. And we don't get that many calls. We've had one call in the history of the show. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to go on my Instagram account, and I'm going to start a mailbag where Pirate fans can ask me questions, and I'm going to answer them right here live on Bucket Booth so you can have your questions answered um, in more than just a typing way. So we have one question from the mailbag this week, and it's from Sam Mistretta. He says, "Should the Pirates, uh, let's see, should the Pirates stop, try to sign Echeveria or another infielder, or find an internal option?" So very a question, Sam, and I don't think the Pirates are going to be in the market of signing Adami Echeveria. When they brought him over from the Tampa Bay Rays, the thought was. Okay, he's here. He's going to help us out, get into the playoffs. Um, but that didn't work out, so we traded him to the Yankees. And really, another thing that Adani Echabria, I thought, was, okay, we know Jordan is going to be a free agent. Adani is also going to be a free agent. Do we maybe want to go down the path of Echabria? And when the Pirates traded him, they clearly stated that, no, Kevin Newman would be the internal option at shortstop Um. Another internal possibility, I believe, Sam, is Jung Ho Gong. Um, he has a five point five million dollar player team option for next season with a two hundred fifty thousand dollar buyout option. The question becomes: Will the Pirates pick up that option? If he's that twenty-five home run guy, a five and a half million dollar deal—that's very cheap, but it's a very big risk that Neil Huntington and his team is going to have to weigh. Um, I believe that Kevin Newman will be the opening day shortstop for the Pittsburgh Pirates. So that's going to do it for our mailbag this week. I will be putting them up on my Instagram account um, uh, on Friday Friday afternoon. I'll probably put them up, and you all can ask me questions, and I'll answer them right here live on the show. So for all of you looking at the title, um, we're going to be talking about the season, you know, doing a little bit of a recap. And last Sunday, on September 23rd, in his final press conference of the season, Pittsburgh Pirates general manager Neil Huntington delivered an eye-opening, yet true quote, which can essentially summarize the entire year for his team. Quote, this club was one win a month away from being a postseason baseball team. That's how close we are. One win a month. End quote. To be fair, when one considers the expectations that many had for this team entering the 2018 season, the fact that this quote is anywhere near to being a factual statement is something worth celebrating. The franchise was struggling to convince just about anyone that their goal was to compete. Yet sure enough, they did. With less than a week left in the season, the Pirates enter their game this afternoon against the Cincinnati Reds, now solidifying their fourth winning record since 1992. Not bad for a team that, had, that many had written off months before the first pitch of the season was thrown. However, after one gets past the shock factor that the team's success provided, it is fair to ask the question, should the fans, players, or front office be content with simply winning a few more games than they lost? As Huntington continued speaking, it became clear that the answer to that question is no. Quote, if we figure out how to win one game a month more, we are in a very different spot as we finish the season, said Huntington. If we win two more games a month, then we are fighting for a division, which is ultimately where we want to be because that best positions you to win a World Series. Quote, winning season or not, as a Pirates fan, it is hard to not be a bit disappointed about how accurate this take truly is. And a year that was nothing short of a roller coaster ride filled with the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. It is not difficult to look back throughout the entire season and find a spot in each month where the Bucs could have earned those one or two extra wins. Here are the first moments that came to my mind. In April, the bullpen struggle was real. Overall, the Pirates really couldn't have done much better in the opening month of the season. They were hitting the ball better than any team in the league and getting solid starts from their pitching staff, which resulted in them being at the top of the NL Central for a large chunk of the first four to five weeks. However, while spirits were high in the clubhouse, one area where things were not going well was the bullpen. The Pirates' bullpen was their obvious Achilles heel throughout all of April. Anytime the Bucks lost in the opening month of 2018, it seemed that the bullpen played a role in it. Prior to the arrival of Kyle Crick and Richard Rodriguez, the team really was struggling to find anyone reliable to hand the ball to in the late innings. Players like Michael Feliz, Dovidas Navaraskis, Josh Smoker, and George Cantos were simply not getting the job done. While it is respectable that Hurdle continued to give them opportunities in hopes that they would snap out of their early season slumps, the idea that either Crick or Rodriguez were assumed to be less talented than any of the bullpen arms the Bucks opened the season with is ridiculous. Of their 12 losses in April, five belonged to a pitcher in the bullpen. Is it fair? It is fair to assume that had Crick and Rodriguez been a that number is a bit lo- lower. Then we head to May 8 2 Felipe. Pirates All Star Club Felipe Vasquez was one of the top relief pitchers in all of baseball this season, aside from the horrible 12 day stretch that he experienced in late May. From May 20th to May 31st, Vasquez was living in his own nightmare. We allowed 12 hits, nine runs, seven earned, and eight and only three and two-thirds in work work over the span of six outings. Five of those six outings were also a safe situation. Vasquez only converted one of them successfully. The Pirates went three and eight during Vasquez's 12 days of misery, and half of those eight losses, they were only a few outs away from being the winning team rather than losing one. Felipe Vasquez did a boatload of more good things than bad for the Pirates in 2018, yet had he or the coaching staff been able to minimize his struggles in late May, this team could still be very well in the playoff hunt. Then we head to June, where you have Sean Rodriguez versus City of Pittsburgh. On mid-June, things were not going well for the Pirates. Their team couldn't find any consistency on offense, and their bullpen problems had returned. However, the issue that seemed to be bigger than anything else was the playing time that Rodriguez versus receiving despite having little to no offensive or defensive production throughout the entire season. Earlier this year, when I was starting the podcast, one of the first things I talked about was the infamous Sean Rodriguez bobblehead day. It was, and still remains in my brain, as one of the most embarrassing moments in recent franchise history. As the team continued to struggle, the cherry on top of everything was seeing s a player who clearly had no business to still be playing in the major leagues, continuously be put in the starting lineup, regardless of how bad he was truly playing. Rodriguez had a slash line of an 040 average, 200 OVP, and an 040 slugging, and struck out 12 times in the month of June. Though this came in the sam- small sample size of 12 games and 25 at bats, the fact that he received playing time for a major league baseball club with those numbers is almost an insult to the game itself. As I mentioned in the podcast back a while ago, Sean Rodriguez is an excellent human being. However, the front office could have plucked a random middle infielder from any level of the minor leagues. through a Pirates uniform on him and probably would have received better production. Statistically, Rodriguez's war of negative 0.4 indicates that he lost a team less than half the game this season. Yet, when one considers all the reps he took away from younger and more deserving players who were waiting behind him, Esrod negatively affected the Pirates a lot more off paper. Then we had to July. Why didn't we think of this earlier? Like the month of April, not much went wrong for the Pirates in Their offense led of the league in many categories. Their pitching staff began to click. The club won 11 games in a row, and they were rewarded the front office, making two big trades on the final day of the deadline. However, my only negative takeaway from July was actually something I wished that had happened earlier, which is batting Corey Dickerson in the leadoff spot. Obviously, the Dickerson leadoff experiment was has now run its course. However, in the opening months of the season when Clint Hurl was throwing anyone he could think of in the top spot of the order, including Sean Rodriguez, Max Moroff, and Josh Bell, it puzzles me why he didn't give Dickerson a shot at it until July. When he did, the move showed immediate success. Dickerson, along with the rest of the team, proceeded to mash the ball better than they had at any other point in the year. They became the hardest team in the major leagues, and the addition of Dickerson on the top of the batting order arguably was what got the ball rolling. Dickerson had success in the leadoff spot in 2017 when he was playing for Tampa Bay. This was no secret. If Hurdle knew this and the team desperately needed a productive leadoff hitter for the first three months of the year, what kept him from giving Dickerson a chance? Was it because Dickerson was the team's best hitter or because he wanted to keep him rested in case the club chose to trade him at the deadline? Whatever his reasoning was, Hurdle's decision to let Dickerson be the last player to audition to bat leadoff probably cost his club a few runs that would have been very useful during those struggles in May and June. And then we had to August. Where do I begin? Too many things went wrong in the month of August for me to simply choose one as the headline. We had the Clay home start in San Francisco that nearly resulted in the entire city of Pittsburgh being burned to the ground. Followed by that was the decision to pitch Alex McRae in a tie game against the St. Louis Cardinals. There was a string of bad starts by Chris Archer that gave some Pirates fans a heavy dose of buyer's remorse. There's a four-game series against the Chicago Cubs where the Bucks allowed just four total runs, yet only were able to come away with a split. Dickerson returned from the disabled list, but forgot how to hit the baseball. Then everyone aside from Adam Frazier also forgot to hit. And on and on it went. Looking back at everything, the Pubs could have won at least four to five more games in August, had they simply played half as well as they did in July. They worked their way out of a huge hole just to climb right back in. Late May was tough, and June was ugly, but when Huntington examines why his team did not make the playoffs this year, he can find a good amount of answers in the month of August. The offense was bad. The fielding was bad. The manager was bad. The pitching staff was excellent, but one of four is just not good enough, especially in baseball. Then we have the September. Too little, too late. The person played pretty solid in the final month of 2018. While they let a few games get away recently, overall their biggest problem this month that has caused some games has come from injuries. I am sure the Bucks had a healthy Diaz, Polanco, Santana, and Kellogg, and they would have an even better record than they do now. However, in reality, that doesn't make much of a difference. Huntington was right when he said that this club was one to two wins a month from being a playoff team, both literally and figuratively. Every team in the MLB has a few games each month that plays a big role as to how their season turns out. All games count the same, yet some can have a greater impact than others. The Pirates, without question, have had many good moments in 2018. Even though they are not a playoff team, it is still easy to look back at a few wins each month and point out how they helped lead to more success later on. The problem is that the Pirates had too many games this year, where they simply beat themselves. Stupid decisions and inconsistency in all areas of the game led to this team finishing just shy of being a legitimate postseason threat in the final week of the year. Overall, this was a good one. This year was a good one for the Pittsburgh Pirates. However, if they want to take a step forward and be better next year, they cannot make the same mistakes, or they will once again be one or two games short of reaching October. The end is truly near. The Pittsburgh Pirates were set to begin their final two games of 2018 this afternoon against the Cincinnati Reds. When the season comes to an end, it's hard not to feel like it's the last day of school. You start to feel nostalgic for the memories, even if they were hilariously frustrating at times. When we look back on the 2018 Pittsburgh Pirates, we may see the story of a team that was riddled with inconsistency. They were a team that looked on the cusp of greatness and on the brink of complete collapse, sometimes in the same week. However, we also saw a team finally make the big move at the deadline, but somehow it made the team look worse for a large chunk of the season. We also saw a team that fought like hell when their backs were against the wall. The 2018 Pittsburgh Pirates will be remembered as a team that may have lacked talent, but they did not lack effort. When the final hours recorded on the season, I would genuinely miss getting to watch the 2018 Pirates play baseball. This team has messed with my emotions more than any sports team in recent memory. I've been apathetic, hyped, disappointed, and excited by this team at different points. Sometimes watching them play felt like actual torture. Other times, it was the most fun I've had watching a baseball team since 2015. When all is said and done, this team will be remembered as an average club. However, they were never boring. Josh Brown have 93.7% of the fans to the best, so I will let him say it. Quote, the Pirates are an enigma in that they totally surpassed my expectations, yet I would say they have definitely been a disappointment. End quote. Very few teams can be both disappointing but overachieving in the same season. Somehow the 2018 Pittsburgh Pirates – pulled off that rare feat. This offseason will be extremely interesting. The team has a lot of money coming off the books, so they can be fairly aggressive in free agency. I'm sure many of you just scoffed at that last sentence, but before this year, Pirates never went for out of the dem- trade deadline either. So who knows what this team will look like come spring training 2019. Personally, I'm looking forward to seeing the future makeup of this baseball club. We have only have one more chance to see the maddening Nearly great, almost awful, never boring 2018 Pittsburgh Pirates. Here's to you, Pittsburgh Pirates. Thanks for never being boring. All right, I want to talk about the overall baseball issue. Sources a federal grand jury is investing in the international, and all sides are worried. Plenty of Latin America Major League Baseball Original. Season. It's simply the one that is considered sort of the longest. Corruption of all kinds, illicit payoffs, honest money skimming, doping teenagers with performance enhancing drugs has been treated as the cost of doing business. And the following finally strikes the game with a sort of consequences that for decades have seemed inevitable. A federal grand jury is looking into Major League Baseball teams' international dealings and has issued subpoenas to club officials and other personnel involved in the transactions many sources familiar with the probe told Yahoo Sports. Agents from the FBI have spearheaded the investigation, according to sources familiar with it, and lawyers from the Department of Justice, who specialize in foreign corrupt practices act cases, which typically involve bribery of foreign officials, are involved as well. While the target of the inquiry could not be confirmed by Yahoo Sports, sources said investigators had subpoenaed at least one former Atlanta Braves official, as well as people involved with the Sector Oliveira who agreed to a deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers before being traded to the Braves. Multiple witnesses have agreed to cooperate with the investigation, according to sources. Just how deep the case goes is unclear. MLB's business in Latin America is expansive. All 30 teams have academies in the Dominican Republic and regularly scout players in Venezuela. They spend well over $100 million a year on international amateur talent. Most of the players are 16 years old and have trained since before they were teenagers and have been fetching large signing bonuses on July 2nd, the first day of the international signing period. The potential threats to investigate are almost limitless. Foreign office officials have been sent to prison for schemes in which they skimmed money from signing bonuses. An agent last year was convicted for smuggling Cuban players, which has happened regularly over the last decade and went unregulated by the league. Other agents are alleged to have paid players to steal them as clients from competitors, an issue that directly affects the NLB Players Association. NLB's tacit acknowledgment of the issues in Latin America comes through both penalty and action. In November, the league banned for life former Atlanta Braves general manager John Cappellella. After its investigation revealed, the team had, a, had run afoul of international signing rules. A year earlier, the Boston Red Sox were penalized for similar, though less severe, infractions. In 2010, NLB suspended A.J. Preller, now the GM of the San Diego Padres, then head of the Texas Rangers' Latin American operations, for illicit negotiation with a player. The league last year hired a forensic accountant to look through team's books and threat out illegitimate business in Latin America. According to two sources, one step among a handful NLB hopes to use as it tries to change the culture. The league has redoubled efforts to prioritize change in Latin America, starting with a Trainer Partnership Program, which will intend to incentivize BizCon's trainers who spend years cultivating young talent to end the pervasive use of PEDs on young teenage boys. The desire to foster a stronger relationship has been productive. According to two trainers who this week said the presence of NLB Deputy Commissioner Dan Halem at an event in the DR last week Left a strong impression and a belief that a relationship with the league could be more productive than with the MLBPA, which traditionally represents the Bizcones in labor negotiations. MLB's culpability in the larger scheme of how teams operate in Latin America is a vexing question, and one commissioner, Rob Manfred, will have to answer. What did the league know about Oliveira? MLBPA executive director Tony Clark will be pressed similarly. Was Olivera's representation aware of anything? The officials from the league. NLBPA Dodgers and Braves declined comment. Olivera's agent Greg Genski, did not return messages seeking comment. Of course, Olivera is just one player, one investigate, one investigative plus ability, one sixty two point five million dollar bus with one hundred eight career plate appearances, and an eighty-two game suspension domestic incident that later sent him to jail for ten days. The scope of the probe could go so much deeper, so much wider. It is potentially for people in Latin America who have long felt taken advantage of by baseball, an overdue thing. And as MLB enters the final weekend of its regular season with the National League, a wide-open front scene in the American League, primed for a fast ending postseason, the grand jury is a reminder that the business of baseball is ever vulnerable. The Braves, in the midst of a magic season that led them to a championship, aren't entirely rid of their past misdeeds. Other organizations that have taken liberties in Latin America have a right to be fearful if the scope of the investigation is as wide as it could be. The League and the Union, meanwhile, can only hope that their treatment of the issues in Latin America, as the cost of doing business, don't fall back on them. A federal grand jury is serious. The Department of Justice's involvement has top officials on both sides spooked where it's going. They don't know. In a business as opaque as baseball in Latin America, a business, the powers that be on both sides created, it's only fitting There's some scary stuff going on in Latin America. All right, I want to talk a little about MLB free agency because we're heading into the offseason, and I want to talk about free agency, the hot stove. Who are some dark horse, the simplest answer is usually the right one. It's a principle that applies as much to MLB free agency and the trade market as anything else. At service level, each top target set to hit the open market has one or two obvious potential landing spots. Many times that's exactly what the player wants up sign. There's always that mystery team lurking on the periphery, though. And inevitably, there will be at least a few surprises when the dust settles on another busy offseason. Garrett Cole joined an already stacked Houston Astros rotation last winter. Was a trade that few saw coming, especially after the August deal for Justin Verlander. The same can be said for the Philadelphia Phillies' decision to sign Carlos Santana after a breakout performance from first base and Reese Hoskins down the stretch. So which dark horse teams will emerge from a blockbuster trade or land a big-ticket free agent this time around? So who could the Pirates possibly get? Who are they at the dark horse? It's a question that we are going to try to answer. And we're first going to start off with a player who I really like. Secondly, some Whit Merrifield, Kansas City Royals' to trade candidate. The late Bloom Merrifield has become the most valuable trade chip on the Royals' roster. After a breakout 2017 season, he's been even better this year, hitting for a 303 average, 367 MVP, and a 440 slugging while leading the AL on hits. With 186 and stolen base of 41. He's already 29 years old, but he's still a year removed from arbitration eligibility and carries team control through the 2022 season. Selling high now makes too much sense for Kansas City. The Pirates surprised more than a few people when they traded for Chris Archer and Keone Kella at the trade deadline, and swinging a deal for Merrifield would be another forward thinking move. With Josh Harrison and Jordan Mercer both headed for free agency, they could be looking for a proven middle infielder, despite having a number of rising prospects, who could fill the void. I would really like Whit Merrifield as the starting shortstop of the buyers. And That would be exciting. Whit Merrifield starting shortstop and Frasier at second base. I can see that. And it would be beyond exciting to see that happen. I think Whit Merrifield needs to be our primary target this offseason. Um, Even though he's not a free agent, he is a trade candidate. And I'm almost positive that the Royals will be selling to him. I thank everyone for tuning in to Bucket Booth. I want to get to a call real quick. Uh, So hold on. Sorry um, for making you wait. Uh, But we will get you on in just a moment to finish off the show here. I just need to uh, connect, so to speak. One moment on our call, we will get you on in just a minute here on Bucko Booth as we close out the episode. So
1: let's get you
0: on. Welcome to Bucko Booth, Will. How are you
1: Hi, doing? I'm, uh, Tang from a Um this I really want to see the Pirates get after uh, Mike Trout this off season. I think he's gonna be free agent. Obviously we all know he's a free agent. Um, also I really like Aaron judge for this team. I think if we facilitated them in the outfield with judge and left trout and center and Polanco and right, that's a great outfield obviously. And then I think, um, I like, uh, Chris sale. I think we can pick him up since he's going to be a free agent too. And, uh, Maybe we can get, like, Derek Jeter to come out of retirement and he can replace that shitty shortstop we have now in Jordy Mercer. What do you think?
0: That would be some very exciting stuff. Thank you for uh, calling in the bucket booth. We'll see you next Saturday.